Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Now today, we're going to talk about Jesus is alive forevermore, but before we even get into that, how many of you heard many, many, and sometimes the television personalities and all that say, there's many ways to the same God. We all serve the same God. We all follow the same God. Different religions, but it's all the same God. Well, that's what they say, but if we really thought that through, it's not true, because, for example, when it comes to Buddhists and Buddhism, they don't believe in a personal God. When it comes to Hindus and Hinduism, they believe in two major gods and millions of lesser gods. And when it comes to uh, Muslims and Islam, they believe in Allah. Well, what, what about well, when it comes to salvation? Well, once again, the, the Buddhism, what they teach is that you have to self put forth effort in order for you to be saved. Hindus believe in devotion, good works, in order for you to be saved. And then, of course, when it comes to Islam and, and Muslims, you have to earn it. As a matter of fact, you've got to pay the price for your own sins. Can you imagine that? That's what they believe. What about Jesus? When it comes to Jesus, what do they think? Well, in Buddhism, he's a good teacher. In Hinduism, he is... Not someone who died for our sins, who wasn't crucified for us. He is maybe one of the many other sons of whoever they think is God. And then when it comes to Islam and Muslims, what they believe is that he's a tad lower than Allah. A tad. But he's the greatest of all the prophets, but a tad lower than Allah. How is all that saying the same thing when you as a Christian, who's God, the creator of heaven and earth and seeing all that in them is Jehovah. He is called the Al Shaddai. Well, what about salvation is by grace through faith in the finished works of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what about Jesus? He's the son of God, son of man, son of righteousness, who has arisen with healing in his wings. He is the lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through him. How is all that the same? I got a verse for you this morning that will get you to rise up from where you're sitting. It's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. And look at what it says. I am he that liveth. Let's stop right there. He is saying, I am the living one. I am the ancient of days. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the living one and was dead. And all that that entails. How can the living one die? The hypostatic union of deity and humanity and the person of Jesus Christ went to a cross where he suffered and died, paid our sin debt, suffered the wrath of God. God raised him up on the third day. And that's why the next one says, I'm alive forevermore. And that's my message this morning. 
I'm alive forevermore. Would you say it with me? He's alive. We serve a living Savior. Amen. He's alive, praise God. As a matter of fact, when uh, the Sadducees, and that's why they were Sadducee, they didn't believe in the, res the resurrection, right? When Jesus called them on it, you know, he told them, you don't know the power of God. You don't know the word of God. And that's why you think the way you think. But you know what? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say the God of dead Abraham, Isaac. He's the God of the living, not the dead. So he's alive. Amen. All right. The resurrection is what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. Other religions can say we have a founder who lived, who died, etc. But they never claim to come back and authenticate what they taught by a resurrection from the dead. But then there's Jesus. And he made some bold claims when he walked upon this earth. Didn't he? Bold claims like, I'm the son of God. I'm the Jewish Messiah. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the light of the world. I mean, he went on and made all these bold claims and said this. I will authenticate them by my resurrection from the dead or consider me a fraud and a liar. Well, praise God. Look at this one claim that he made, I think, that really ties everything together here today. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, look at what it says. Jesus said to her, this is when Lazarus died and his sister went to meet Jesus. He said, and here's his claim, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Not I know about it, not I teach it. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes on me shall never, ever die. Do you believe this? He says to her, he says, oh, I believe. Well, I want to do us a, show us a little example here. Dante, would you come? Can we have this microphone turned on? Other religions of the world, they can compete on certain levels. You realize that? They certainly can. Let's just say, for example, Dante represents the other religions of the world. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Are we in competition? It's competition. Well, I feel like I'm going to lose then. Well, <laughs> we'll see about that. So do right. I. <laughs> you see, if I'm going to witness to you, here's what I'm going to tell you. Look, our religion, Christianity... We have what is called a holy book. It's the Bible. It's made up of 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. And guess what? Over a period of hundreds of years, you know what we discover? All these individuals were anointed by the Spirit of God and they wrote all these things and they all come together. It's called a holy book. What do you say? I say, wow, we have one too. You do? We have one too, yeah. Oh. Well, what about this? You see this beautiful building right here? We have a wonderful building that we worship in. And we've got buildings around the world where people worship in these wonderful edifices. What say you? I would say we also do. Many buildings. Okay. i got to convince you. Uh, thirdly, we have followers galore. I mean, we're talking millions of people follow what we believe. What do you say? Oh, we have many people too. Many people. You do? Yes. 
All right. Well, you know what, Dante? Our founder is not a myth. He's not a legend. Our founder truly lived and it's proven that he actually walked on this earth. What say you? Oh, ours was really real too. Psalm. In the real life. He actually lived. He actually lived. Well, ours is authenticated too because you know what? He died. They probably have some means of knowing that he died. Matter of fact, ours died on a cross. And you could actually go back in history. Jewish historians, Josephus is just one of them. And they talk about the death of Christ, our founder, and they know he died. What ours is very dead. Buried him myself. <laughs> very dead. How old are you? I'm 23. <laughs> okay, Dante. Our founder, after he died, three days later was raised from the dead. What say you? Uh, well, you have any proof? There's an empty tomb. As a matter of fact, I do have proof. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Not only was there an empty tomb, but he was seen by many. And in a court of law, if you have a couple of eyewitnesses, that's usually valid proof. But I want you to read this with me. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he, he was seen of Cephas, then of twelve, and then after that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. Some have died. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And let me add this to it, Dante, just to help convince you. The one who wrote that, was the one who was trying to destroy Christianity. He was the one who was trying to snuff it out in its inception. He had papers in his hands. He's on the Damascus Road. This Jewish leader is going to see to it that every Christian alive dies to stamp out Christianity. And he saw Jesus on the Damascus Road and made a 180 and wrote more than half of the New Testament. What say you? Well, I guess you win. I need to become a Christian. I can lead you. Thank you. To the... <laughs> Thanks, Dante. We appreciate your participation this morning. <laughs> Amen. In Matthew 22, I alluded to that earlier. Look at what it says. There are many that didn't believe in the resurrection of our Lord. Remember, it's the resurrection that distinguishes Christianity from all the other religions of the world. And look at this. The Sadducees, like I said, they were very sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. The same day came to him, the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him. Now, look how they beat around the bush. You ready for it? Here's the trip around. 
Master, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second, also the third, and the seventh, at last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, I thought you don't believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, whose life shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You do err in not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now notice this. He brings it all back together. But it's touching the resurrection, which is really what you're asking me, of the dead. Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Oh, beloved, we serve a living God. There is a resurrection. Can you say amen? Look at Acts chapter 17, because they're not the only ones that didn't believe in a resurrection. Here the apostle Paul, he's at Mars Hill. He's preaching this sermon to those who are worshiping the unknown God. Because he hath appointed a day in, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, which is Jesus, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we'll hear this, uh, hear thee again of this matter. I mean, they went crazy over hearing about a resurrection. Are you kidding? A bodily resurrection from the dead? And then you think about the Romans. You know what the Romans believed? That the body imprisoned the soul. And the soul then is released when the body dies. So when the body dies and goes back to the dust of the earth, it no longer exists. It will never exist ever again. And so they're released from that prison. And then, of course, as many Eastern religions teach, which is reincarnation, if they behave, they'll come back as an upscale being. I don't know what sort, but an upscale being. If they misbehave while they were in prison in his body, they'll come back as an insect. I guess if you're going to come back as an insect, you might as well be a praying mantis. <laughs> Why not, right? That's what they think. So this goes all the way back to the Sadducees as well, who didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. Think about that. That sect. Well, we don't believe that. We believe that the body that you have is the temple of the living God purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are the temple of God. Thank God. He's living in you. He's dwelling in you. He's walking in you. He says, I'll be your God. You'll be my children. That's what he says about us. And guess what? This body to him is special. Look in the book of Daniel. We believe in a bodily resurrection. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, and verse 2. This is from the New Living Translation. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. The bodies will rise up. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. So guess what? That body that goes back to the dust of the earth doesn't stay there. It will be raised up at some point. And then also look in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I think this is something that we're probably really anticipating because we believe it's closer than it's ever been before. Uh, some of the things that I've been looking at, reading, and that sort of thing, you know, I know you should never make a prediction. How many of you know you don't make a prediction about the rapture of the church? Amen. Some are saying like now it's in the, the fall of uh, 2025. 
We've had predictions made all throughout history. Okay? All I know is this. It's closer than it's ever been. Tomorrow, it'll be even closer yet. And he's coming soon. But here's my point. I would not have your brethren to be ignorant, uh, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or who have died, that you sorrow not even as others that have no hope. For we, if we believe that Jesus died, rose again, then even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Notice, they're with him now. He's going to bring them when he comes again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead, that is their bodies, in Christ shall rise first. So if you could picture this, He's coming in the clouds with the spirit and soul of those that are with him. Their bodies are still in the grave. But when they hear his voice, remember vocal cords, remember sound waves. Everything responds to sound waves, doesn't it? Everything. He made all things with his voice. Let there be light and there was light and so on. When those bodies that are there and all the ashes that represent the DNA, the very construction of a person's life is going to come, going to hear that voice, the graves are going to open. And then when he does... With our alive and remain will be changed or caught up together with them in the clouds to meet him and the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What's the comfort? The loved one that you buried is in heaven with the Lord, spirit and soul, but their bodies left on the earth. But when that day occurs, that body that was there is going to be raised up, going to be glorified, reunited with spirit and soul, and forever be with the Lord throughout eternity. So the body is very special to him. It's not just a, uh, something that imprisons a person's soul and then it's gone and cast away. It's going to become alive again. And then also look at this last one. And this one, mm, uh, I have to warn you, a, the rating on this is not great. So I'm warning you, but let's read it. As surely as my heavens and earth will remain, so you will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear, says the Lord. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. And as they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. Oh, my. What is he saying here? We love the part about worshiping the Lord throughout eternity, but what about the part of looking to a place, I call it like a looking glass, where you can see those who have rebelled against God as a warning don't anyone ever rebel against God ever again like Adam did in the very beginning? Where the worm dies not and the fires never quench. In other words, that's what Jesus taught. They'll be cast into out, outer darkness where the worm dies not, the fires never quenched. Meaning the worms that eat the body like a magnet, maggot will continue to eat the body and then consume it and it'll still come back and consume it and come back and consume it and come back. And then the fire that burns will burn them and come back and burn them. body will come back. It's called a resurrected body that will endure eternal suffering as a result of the rejection. Not their behavior, but their rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. If you accept Christ, your behavior will change. But this is what happens. There's a resurrection when it comes to the body.
Now, for these who believe there was no resurrection, think about it. If, you, if there's a resurrection, we have nothing to be concerned about, right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there is no resurrection from the dead, as so many think, then these verses tell us something. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. Whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. It all hinges on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then what are we doing here this morning? He is saying, why are we even here this morning? Uh, look at this next verse in verse 32. This is Paul speaking or writing. And look at what he says. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's he saying? If Christ isn't raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. What we believe is useless, absolutely useless. If there is no resurrection from the dead, Christ is dead. There is no salvation. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if this is true, why are we here? Let us eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, party as much as you possibly can. Because when you leave this realm, there's no accountability. You just are gone. You don't exist anymore. But Jesus taught death does not mean annihilation. It does not mean a cessation of life. It doesn't mean a person ceases to exist anymore. Beloved, there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. We are living in the land of the dying. When we die, we go to the land of the living. And where we spend our eternal living is dependent upon if we believe in Jesus Christ or not. There are not many ways that lead to God. There's one way that leads to God and his name is Jesus. And he said, I am the only way, truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. That's what he said. Is that true? Well, he authenticated it by his resurrection from the dead. Can you say amen to that? Well, what if there is a resurrection? Look at, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 20. But now Paul says, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You realize that in the same chapter he said, Adam is the first Adam, but Christ is the second Adam or the last Adam. And the first Adam, everyone dies. And the second Adam, everyone can have life if you choose to have life. But it's up to the individual. It doesn't just automatically happen because we live in America or you come from a Christian family. It happens because you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus. All right. So since the resurrection we know is true and since we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, we can verify the fact that our faith is not in vain. Preaching here today is not in vain. 
Persuading other people to come to Christ and come to the cross is not in vain. And we are not yet in our sins, praise God. We were sinners. We've been saved by grace. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We're God's masterpiece. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus. We're more than conquerors through him that loves us. Praise God for who we are in Christ and what we have in him. That's who we are, sons and daughters of the Most High God, the temple of the living God. Well, the resurrection is a reality, and here's what it means to every single one of us. I've listed these so that you can look them for yourself and take them home and think about it. If it's a reality, then Jesus has been glorified, and he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, in his rightful place as the victor over death, hell, and the grave. Number two, every claim that he ever made, every promise that he made, Every pledge that he made, every prediction that he made is absolutely, positively true. It's just up to us to believe it. Number three, it also means that uh, he succeeded in completing the work. Remember, he said to the Father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do, and therefore glorify me with the glory I had with you from the beginning. John 17, he said that. And the Father says, I have glorified thee. And this is his coronation. This is when, remember, he left the glory world behind and he set it all aside. Then he came to the earth and he became a man. He walked like no man walked, talked like no man talked, did like no man did, died like no man died, and was raised like no man was ever raised from the dead and went back to the high court of heaven. He had a coronation service after he offered up his blood. And what did uh, Hebrews chapter 10 say? He was reinstated. His glory was given back to him that he left behind when he left that world. Imagine that. He did that for all of us. What did he come to do? Colossians chapter 2, since you've asked. Look at what it says. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Wow. So you also are complete through your union with him. Wow. That's what he came to do. Who is the head of every ruler and authority? And when you came to Christ... You were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Thank God for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him. You were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's what he came to do. And he said to the father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. What did he come to do? Undo, outdo, and overdo all the works of the devil. That's what he came to do. Did he do what he came to do? Did he succeed in doing this? Well, praise God, then guess what? We're not just, we're not, we're sinners, but we've been saved by grace. And now we're his masterpiece. You know why you're a masterpiece? That's Colossians chapter, uh, I'm sorry, that's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. You are his masterpiece because he's the master designer. See, a masterpiece is only a masterpiece because of the master who created it. Just like the statue of David by Michelangelo. He's the master and that's his masterpiece. And believe it or not, that is the probably the epitome of workmanship as far as 
let's say sculpting is concerned on earth, the masterpiece that he made, Michelangelo made about David, they say in Italy, Davide. Well, guess what? Guess who designed you? Guess who sculpted you? Guess who crafted you? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, he took your sin-sick soul. And I'm telling you, he got a big old rubber stamp called Paid in Full. Dipped it in his blood. And when you said, Jesus, come into my heart, he stamped your sin-sick soul, paid in full. That dying spirit left. A new spirit came in you. The life of God came in you. And you were raised up from the dead with him to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. Hallelujah. Number four. Death is swallowed up in victory. Look at the first Corinthians 15 once again. Oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, grave. Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain at all. Praise God. And then finally, the resurrection. It's a historical fact. Absolute historical fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. They can't disprove it. And many eyewitnesses saw it and they can attest to it. You've got the two on the road to Emmaus that can attest to it and many others. You've got the Roman soldiers that were there that were securing you know, the tomb. They can attest to it and they know it and they lied about it, but that's okay. But what we know is this. It has eternal implications for every single one of us, non-believer and believer alike. To a non-believer that might be out there by saying there are many roads to God, many ways to God, I just, I'm confused about all this. There is only one, one founder who was raised from the dead to prove his claims and authenticate his claims to be the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah, and so on. To believers, you know what it means to all of us here today? I owe him my allegiance. You owe him your allegiance. Um, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, everybody get prepared for that. Can I give you my rendition of this? Because on, on this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I'll tell you what, this moves me deeply in my heart. Every time I hear myself say it or anybody else say it. You know what this day is all about? Man was lost. You talk about in prison with a sin-sick soul. With no ability whatsoever to save himself. And for 4,000 years, God tried to effectively communicate that to mankind. When he raised up the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, the Israelites, and then raised up the Levitical priesthood and, and got them their, the laws, the rituals, the statues, the judgment that they were to, to, to carry on, the Passover, and then the feast days, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then um, it goes on and on, the first fruits, and on and on. All that was designed to point to a day when the Messiah would come. And when the Messiah would come, he would be born of a virgin. He would walk on the earth as a man, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. He would then do as no man ever did. He would speak as no man ever spoke. He would raise the dead after four days to prove who he was. And then he would go to a cross. And on that cross, 
As I said on Friday night, if you get that, it'll bless you. His visage was so marred more than any man, he did not appear to be human. As a matter of fact, those verses and the translations of, the, of that one verse all talk about the fact that what entered into him was so awful that he did not appear to even be human-like. As a matter of fact, the Roman lictor that was there and others that were there, they saw people crucified all the time. They saw them die on the cross all the time. But when he became sin on that tree for us, when he became sin, was made sin by the Father for us, he was so twisted, they said, he was so disfigured, it says, he did not appear human. You could not tell he was a human being. And no wonder the Roman lictor looked up and just was overwhelmed by the sight of what he saw and said, truly, this must have been the Son of God. You see, when that happened and he became sin who knew no sin, the fullness of the wrath of Almighty God fell on him. You see, the passion of the Christ gives you only a outward, physical view of his suffering. That was not the main suffering that he suffered. Oh yeah, that would hurt physically. But understand this, that was only a part of it. When the Bible says God laid on him the iniquity of us all, whoever lived, past, present, and future, whoever lives, he took on himself sin itself. He became your sin. He became my sin. Who knew no sin. Why? So that we would be made his righteousness. This is called the great exchange. This is called substitution. But are you ready for it? The wrath you should have suffered, that we all should have suffered, he suffered. The wrath of God took him to a place of suffering like no one has ever, ever experienced or known. Some say on the cross he suffered the wrath of God. Some say in the regions of the damned, since he suffered and died with the, with the wicked, he made his grave with the wicked, in that place he suffered. In the abyss he was raised up from. It goes on to say in Acts chapter 2, his, so, his soul was not left in hell, his body did not see corruption. And so when you put all this together, all we have from the cross to the throne is the ability for us to look at these scriptures and basically for ourselves conclude, what all did he suffer for me? What is this wrath he suffered for me? And oh, it's so unbearable. He was sweating as if it were blood at the rock in the garden. It's so awful that he said, Father, let this cup pass from me if it's possible. Our Savior is not a wimp. Peter was crucified upside down, you know. Others were sawn asunder, cut in two. Bodies ripped apart, put it by tying their legs to trees and shredding their bodies. Think about this. Why was Jesus let this cup pass from me? Because he became sin. He took the wrath of God. He suffered beyond our ability to comprehend. That's why. It wasn't just crucifixion. When he said it is finished, it wasn't the work of redemption. I came to fulfill the law. I came to end the Abrahamic covenant and fulfill it. I came to start a new covenant right here. And on the night that he was betrayed, they celebrated this supper. 
This is called the new and everlasting covenant that took the place of the old covenant. And that's what he instituted. But before he did that, this is what he did. When God raised him up from the dead, when the, let's say, the high court of heaven was satisfied and God the Father looked over the banishers of heaven, he saw the sufferings of his son and he said, it is enough. And the Holy Ghost went and brought him up from the realms of death and he lifted him up. I believe he caught his blood in a basin. I believe he gave it to him as the high priest. And Jesus took it into the high court of heaven where Adam was banished from and kicked out. Jesus walked right up there between the cherubim and the seraphim and told them, step aside, boys, I'm coming through. And they say, what authorizes you to come through? And he said, my blood that I shed for the redemption of the world has authorized me to come through here. So step aside, I'm going to come in. He sprinkled that blood on the heavenly utensils of worship and the mercy seat. And when he did, he obtained eternal redemption for each and every one of us and he was praise God then named the king of kings and the lord of lords he's the redeemer of the world he told Mary don't touch me before he left he came back and said touch me Mary I did it it's done touch me Hallelujah. I did it it's over man's redeemed and now all we have to do is say yes